Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday to you. It's good to be with you this morning on Hollywood Breaks. Keith, welcome. Thank you, Tim. Great to be here as usual. Hey, before we get too far into this thing, I'm going to raise my glass to you. Um, oh. This is my glass of Vision Craft Brew. So cheers. Ah, you got one too. I do too. Here you go. Dude, you're like, your beer is like disappearing quickly here. I think I'm uh, not a slow drinker. I guess not. <laughs> The, the brewmaster is drinking his own medicine, I see. Yes, he is. Yes, yes. Um, besides the tradition of you and I often going to the Liberty Bell Bar, which was, <laughs> I don't even know the real name of it. That's just what I knew. To That's what you called it. Yes. 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 Um, it, you really, truly are not a making your own brew with uh, Vision Craft Brew. Right. No. That's we should make. No, I, I am not. I've not picked up the brewery sciences as a second career. <laughs> <laughs> but you did kick off your brand this week, Vision Craft Brew, for did, your yes. consulting work that you've been doing. Mm -hmm. um, so at least give us this backstory of like, where does the name Vision Craft Brew come from? Besides making a good cup of coffee or good. Oh, uh, that's uh, that's a good question, Tim. I'm glad you asked. Um, so you know, I, I work obviously with a lot of vision makers and. Uh, people who are constantly changing the game and the movie industry. And, you know, I'm often sort of brought in to sort of help them craft a new message or figure out another way to go. So it's sort of like the whole vision, visionary, vision makers, and then sort of the, you know, bringing me in as sort of the crafter. And then also the idea that, you know, all the, the expertise that I bring to the table sort of brings kind of a brew to it. Yeah, so I, um, I kind of combined them all and came up with Vision Craft Brew. So that's kind of how it all came into uh, to being. It's a very celebratory name. I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> and there really is like uh, the blending. I think a lot of people obviously know all the makers behind the scenes. We've been interviewing some of them. We hear the backstories. Yes. Um, and the collaboration is, is great. The, what you and your crew does. I know it from some of the consultants we've shared together or some of the clients that we've shared together and consulted. Yeah. So pretty fun yeah, for you I mean, to have that name out there. Yeah. It just, it worked, it worked, just worked out well. And again, it was just sort of like sitting down and figuring out, you know, that I work with some of these visionary filmmakers and then also they bring me in to help their craft. And then the idea is that all the services I bring to the table sort of create a nice brew. So yeah. craft brew, it just sort of rolled off the tongue. <laughs> so, and then I, I guarantee you someone's going to be making a beer for us at some point in the future. That would be awesome. Be... I, I would be wholeheartedly <laughs> supportive of that. And I wouldn't charge them for the name. <laughs> yeah, right. We've got to find a friend that's uh, brewing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, cheers. And by the way, I just want to uh, tip a glass too to Prince Philip uh, passing today. Oh, yes. Here, here. Uh, we should give a little cheers to him too. 99 years. That's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Very English thing to do. Let's raise a glass to the man. Yep. All right. Speaking of raising a glass to people, we have some topics to cover this week. Um, yes, we do. I have to say, like the Godzilla versus Kong, I have not seen it yet. I haven't. I'm not one of those that are rushing to the theater to go see it. I, I kind of get it as we talked about last week. Getting into the theater, seeing this big cinematic experience, having all that stuff. Um, but the, the talk of the town is, is it's somewhat successful, or at least people are using it as like, hey, look at the industries bouncing back. Um, I'm going to guess you have a little bit of different opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're quite right on that, Tim. You, you know me oh so well. Um, yeah, I, I started to get a little, I mean, listen, I'll start out by saying I'm happy that there seems to be um, 
at a moment that people are starting to want to go back to the theaters and the fact that there was a movie that did reasonably well, those are all positive signs. However, what I've seen over the course of the last week is a lot of these articles basically saying movies are back, baby. It's like, we're back, we're back. Like nothing has changed. And that's where I kind of run into a little bit of a, an issue with where the industry is heading. Speaking of vision craft brew, one of my specialty brews, if you will, which is some of the, one of the packages I offer is a blockbuster award package. And the idea behind that is sort of to help people make a movie into a blockbuster. Now, post pandemic, that is all shifted. So if someone were to come to me and ask for a blockbuster, the blockbuster award package, I'd say, well, that's all well and good. But if you take Godzilla versus Kong, that's not a blockbuster. In any other era pre-pandemic, that this movie would be looked upon as a disaster. It would cost costing all kinds of money for legendary. So my philosophy with the Blockbuster Award package would basically be you have to look at things differently in the in this post-pandemic world. You've got to figure out a use your marketing materials to convince people to come to the theater. And it's not just about showcasing what the movie is, it's also talking about potentially what sort of uh, initiatives that some of the theaters have taken under their wing to sort of make the experience a safe one. So the um, people think, that are financing the films, like that, yeah. that's one of the, the key people that ask these questions, right? It's like, yeah. if you imagined a, you know, pre-1920 or 2020 kind of um, it, time frame, and mm-hmm. you were defining a blockbuster, you can imagine hitting hundreds of millions of dollars. And in some cases, right. obviously billions of dollars Yep, through this package. That's what we mean by blockbuster now. Yeah, I know blockbuster was really started with Spielberg and Jaws, Jaws. And $100 million yep. films and Star Wars right. and that kind of stuff. So, but we're seeing way beyond those dollars nowadays. That's what we mean by that kind of investment. Yep. Um, with, with the shift now, like, are you saying that the blockbuster should just be ignored like the theaters can't support that kind of strategy and you're saying something else like forget the forget that kind of roi at least temporarily and really just go for the award strategy no i i think that what i'm saying is that you can't just go about it the way you normally would go with a spielberg pre-pandemic movie like there has to be a different strategy involved. You have to talk to people and convince them to come back to the theaters and whether or not that's working with the bigger theater chains and coordination and figuring out a message where you both can benefit sort of from the idea that this is a movie that needs to be seen in the theaters. That was sort of what I was surprised by Godzilla Godzilla versus Kong. They didn't mention anything about this needs to be seen in the theater. Come back to the theaters. This is the movie to welcome you back. That is a way that you would attack a blockbuster campaign in this day and age. Yeah, but they were you afraid. Can't just go, you just can't right. turn around and just show big shots and think people are going to show up. Like, that's just not the reality anymore. And you've got a lot of people that are invested in that reality now, in the idea of the, you, we, the theaters just need product and then everything will go back to normal. And as we yeah, talked I'm about- I'm going to say that they're, they're afraid because- if you put yourself out there like, hey, this is going to be a big theatrical release, and then it isn't, everyone holds you accountable for what your words were. It's like, it's yeah. like talking crap before a game. It's like, if you, you better win the game if you're going to be talking um, like ahead of time. The same with theatrical release, if you're going to be making those bold um, statements. So maybe Godzilla versus Kong just held back. They were afraid to 
be like the tenant kind of a factor and, and make some big splash that didn't really happen. So they, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. Obviously Warner brothers and uh, was the same studio that released tenant. So there's obviously that connection there as well. Maybe they were a little gun shy. They also had the sort of the, um, the butting of the heads with legendary, their co-finance partner on this film. Um, when HBO, I'm oh, sorry, Warner Media made that blanket announcement that they were moving their entire slate onto HBO Max, there was a little bit of freak out on Legendary side because they weren't really notified, and there were sort of output deals that were in place that kind of got shredded without any notice. So, I think there was a lot of hesitancy, uh, and I under I, from part of me understands that, but you also have to look at the industry as a whole, and there just doesn't seem to be a sense that there needs to be a fundamental shift in how you look at things and how you market things in this, in this new post-pandemic world. You just can't go back to the way things were. You can't just say, okay, blink, it's over. Now, all right, everyone's been vaccinated. Now we can just start go back to our old campaigns. Like, you're gonna have to entice people back to the theaters. You're gonna have to remind them why they like the movies. And it just boggles my mind that nobody in the industry is doing anything right now. Just, well, they're just not doing anything. They're, they're just kind of again, sitting like, and waiting for theaters to open yeah. to maximum capacity. And then, oh, we'll release all our movies and everyone will come back. Well, and we're just, you and I have been saying it for a while, we're just waiting for somebody to, to be bold enough to do it. I mean, Fast and Furious, um, um, James Bond, Maverick, some of, some of these movies that we know are going to draw an audience, right? But again, I, don't, I think everyone's a little bit afraid to put their big show out there not get the roi they're expecting because obviously everyone has performed for investors eventually yeah um but also just not have a bad name for a film that they've been i mean can you imagine if james bond bombed like that would be you know that, that's tragic on so many levels and so they're playing it safe and i'm with you i think i think it's the safety that in the fear is what's holding people back instead of being proactive recognizing what needs to be done be smart about th that kind of work be bold in what you're uh, creating out there. But uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, we're ready. I think people are, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, line, it, we are ready to see something. Well, it just, it, we talked about this last week, but it's like the, we talked about the ad that the sports associations cut where they're basically like, we're ready to welcome you back. And it's, it's like, where's the film industry? Where's the entertainment industry? Where are the studios and the exhibitors just, coming together and sort of being like, okay, we need to put our egos aside and figure this out. I can give you an idea right here. You, you cut a spot with the four Chris's. You get Evans, Hemsworth, Pratt, and Pine in a room, and you have them cut a spot about how great it is to be back in the movie theater. That would go viral in a second because everybody's talking about the, the Chris's, who's the worst Chris, who's the best Chris. I don't think they've ever all been in a room at once other than the three of the four Chris's being in the Marvel franchise. Yeah. So right there, there's an idea. You know what? Studio heads, why don't you take a million dollar cut in your salary for, for one year and donate it into a fund to produce the spot? Yeah, like yeah. It's not that complicated, but it's just nobody wants to take the lead here because they're also invested in keeping the system the way it was. Versus, Do you think it's like the, a moment for kind of like an American zoetrope? kind of moment where you know in the in the early days of the blockbuster uh spielberg lucas um coppola brian de palma scorsese 
you know, they all kind of like band together and, and made this production company that said, we're going to do things together. And they had like a synchronized strategy of what they were going to do. They sold films together, had some, some influence on marketing together, whatever. Like, I, I'm going to guess like there are some filmmakers out there, if they kind of woke up, they would say, we can make like a sub studio. We can band together and require the studios that we have deals with to step up and do something, to create some kind of promotion, to keep it going. You know, so the, the elevation and creation of someone's career is very, very important in the Hollywood makeup. And these filmmakers, their, their career's on pause um, while these films are on pause. And while the studio's not doing something, there are people not making films as they should. Sure, yep. the six people making Mandalorian are happy, but the, the rest of the industry really is kind of suffering and it's going to take a, take a hit. It would be an evolution, but it's going to take a hit too. Yeah. Um, you almost wonder if there's, like, there's a mo like an American Zoetrope-esque kind of moment that we, we can, someone can step up and do it. or some maybe Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's what I love to see. And it, I think there might have been an opportunity where the Academy could have taken the lead at some point, given that they are, their whole point of existence is the celebration of film and the magic of Hollywood and movie making and swing and a miss as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the Oscars down the road after their ratings are a complete disaster. But you know, I just think there's just a moment that's being missed here. Um, and I think all anyone really wants to take from all of this sort of the pandemic and the shutting of theaters is like, oh, we just have to adjust our windows. That's all, which is something we've wanted to do anyway. Yeah. So everything right. just goes back to normal. We're just going to go to a 45 day window and then we'll go to HBO Max or blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. And then everything will be normal. It's just, it's such, uh, it, it's frustrating because I think there's a real opportunity as we've talked about. And I think it is gonna take some young and hungry or sort of directors paying together or somebody starting another distribution channel or another distributor um, that is willing to sort of look at this from a different perspective and you know take the advantage that sort of these studios sort of just sitting on their laurels and just sure. lying, lying on the idea that it's all about product. We just need and movies and everything. There's a lot of unemployed uh, studio execs out there right now. We can yes, there are. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's put some bragging rights out there for people because we totally had an influence in this move. I know it for <laughs> sure. If it wasn't our podcast alone, our clubhouse meeting when we talked about yes. this, but you know, we were out there asking a the question: Is Apple going to buy Sony? Like we, I think we put the pressure on. And Sony, Sony and Netflix finally gave in and they stepped up and, and they made the deal. So Apple did not buy Sony. It turns out that Sony actually made a side deal with Netflix to be their distributor. And so therefore Netflix is new, the new like platform distributor for, for Sony now, right? That's yep. the, the match made in heaven. They're, they're, they're the OTT, um, Netflix will now be the OTT provider for Sony because as we've talked about, Sony was the only one that didn't really have a separate OTT service from its corporate parent to sort of funnel its films to. So now Netflix has stepped in. Um, in a lot of ways, this is similar to some of the deals back in the day of home entertainment. For example, when I was at Fox, we were releasing the MGM home, home, home entertainment titles. So it was sort of like that sort of idea. And because Sony's deal with stars was expiring, um, they had an output deal with stars where all their movies went to stars. They looked at this as an opportunity to say, okay, well maybe we pull away from the traditional cable idea and move to more towards an OTT. And I guess there was a lot of, you know, bidders on this obviously because it's content and Sony does have some pretty big titles, namely Spider-Man. 
And now that's all going to shuttle to Netflix, which from what I've read, they dropped almost a billion dollars for the rights. I I would imagine though, it's huge. I mean, uh, again, we were saying Apple should be doing this, right? And we kind of were looking to say, is Apple in the play? Apple needed some content for their um, um, platform. Um, For Netflix to step in, I mean, just to like take over the, the Sony portfolio and be able to release all those films there. It also gives Netflix some legitimacy back in the studio space where all the studios yeah. were basically going off of their platform. Yep. It was going to be vested. Buying all their content very back, low. Yeah. 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 To have like some studio work out there that they can rely on. is that's pretty huge. That's pretty huge. And they're going to, it's, it's some of their, like I said, their, their big titles. It enables them to sort of play in that game where, you know, they get some more poppy titles because they've, they've had some success Netflix has in sort of the awards type films, but in terms of like pop culture movies, they haven't really been able to penetrate that space. We talked to Cami obviously a, a little bit last year about the Prince Hemsworth movie, which was a, was supposedly a big movie for them, but you know, they're so cagey about their data. We never know what that means. Yeah. Um, but now they're going to get titles that are going to literally have a box office run behind them and, people are going to be anticipating and, and it, it gives another aspect for Netflix to sort of promote like, Oh yeah, we're going to be getting Spider-Man. Oh, we're going to have all the Spider-Mans and sort of that gives them some, some cachet in that world where they, they've been struggling a little bit. Yeah. It's, I, I it's, it's such a good move. I gotta be honest. I think you can honestly see where the poker players played their cards, right. And they won this place. Netflix is going to have a huge benefit from it. Sony finally gets the play that they want to on the largest platform possible. So now yeah. Sony has like one of the largest viewing audiences on the planet for their films. If imagine if they were started late in the game and started to build their own platform, there's just no way I would have ever downloaded that app. I just wouldn't, right. I wouldn't get to it. I would have no time available to ever hit the, my Sony app to see what, what TriStar movie I'm missing. <laughs> you know, sleepless in Seattle seven or whatever. I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't know how far back in the library title it goes. I mean, I know the deal starts in 2022. Um, I don't know how far back it goes with their library, but I know it's most films, all the films that are coming out after 2022. I think they get access to all those. So, um, I mean, it's 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 it, you're right. It's it it makes sense. I'm sure Apple was somewhat involved. Um, given their previous relationship with Sony, um, with Greyhound, um, Tom Hanks film, film that came out over Christmas, I believe last year. Um, but obviously Netflix stepped up the plate with the money. And right now I think the studios are really looking for that dough to plug the hole of not really having any money coming in, um, from a revenue perspective. I'm also going to say there's probably going to be some, some big division of to take place, right? Now that they're carrying Sony, it's very clear that the other studios are not going to kind of step up and, and release more things on Netflix as well. It's going to be harder for Netflix to acquire other studios things. So yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that was, that was, yeah, that was really going to be the reality with all the services starting, all the corporations starting their own to OTT services that that was going to be the dumping ground for, you know, Paramount's not Paramount Plus, you know, Universal's got Peacock, you know, Disney, Disney Plus and all their titles. So it, it is definitely going to be a competitive landscape for Netflix for sure. And I think this is going to sort of shore up that. So they will have, as I said, pop culturally titles um, on their service, which I think is going to be a big way for them to still compete 
um, in the, uh, the OTT battles that are forthcoming. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me ask you something because I look, I've been in the industry for a long time and I, and I've known the name Scott Rudin for as long as I've been in the industry. I worked for a gentleman in the nineties when I was working on the Oscars, who is not a very sweet person. Um, and uh, really? some, of them, some of them could compare um, the stories of Scott Rudin and this wonderful gentleman I worked with as well. Yep. But we've known about Scott Rudin and his like temperament and bad attitude and how difficult it is for him to work with. But, and clearly the number of blockbusters that he's produced overshadowed that storyline. But we've known, I mean, there was a film made about this, right? Swimming with Sharks is a film made about how difficult it is to work with them. Yeah. Is this like, you know, thing, cancel culture thing about Scott Rudin? Is it a surprise? I mean, is it going to have any legs? Don't we? Well, here's the thing. You're right. I've also been in the industry for quite a while and his behavior was notorious. There's no doubt about it. I knew several people who worked for him who just was, it was a brutal experience. One, one person I knew was there for like a day and then he quit. He just couldn't, he couldn't deal. Um, but, you know, I think what's interesting about this and for those of our listeners who don't know, um, the Hollywood Reporter ran a story on Thursday, um, was a cover story about Rudin and sort of his abuse, his, his long string of abuses with his assistants and I think what's different. And we this mean time, like we mean like verbal abuse, not yeah, verbal. Well, there was one article where they claimed that he broke a keyboard over somebody's hands, and they had to go to the hospital or a computer yeah. screen. I can't. I remember. had I chairs know. thrown at me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We've all had yeah, things. The notorious but, Hollywood guys had. Me. Yeah, um, but um, a bulk of it is verbal abuse. Yeah, that is correct. I mean, things have been thrown, but. I think this is the first time that anyone really had the guts to speak out. And, uh, you know, in the past, it wasn't always the case. And the only Hollywood executive, Hollywood big player that I've seen to come out and speak in support of some of the people who spoke in the article was Megan Ellison, who um, runs Annapurna um, and had some experience with Rudin. And she was, she spared no expense. You know, she did not spare him and said, basically said he's a terrible person. Um, and this is a little different than what we went through with Harvey Weinstein because Harvey was sort of on the downswing of his career. Weinstein company wasn't doing so well. They were out trying to get more money and he, he wasn't considered an Oscar play. It was, well, this wasn't Shakespeare in love, Harvey Weinstein. This was yeah, right. well beyond that. So the, the New York Times piece that Ronan Farrow wrote was, was, was not necessarily taking down a kingpin. It was in some regards, obviously, because he was, legendary in the business but he hadn't exactly been a legend for close to five years yeah however rudin has been quite successful and you know his one of his plays how to uh kill a mockingbird is still running on broadway when the theaters open um he's had several successes with regards to films he you know social network being one of the most prominent ones He's one of the few uh, people who, have, who are known as EGOT winners. Basically, that means they won an Emmy, a Golden Globe, an Oscar, and a Tony. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see what sort of the, the, the flip side of this is, whether or not there is a major media outlet like a New York Times or an LA Times even, who is going to sort of take this and try to dive even deeper into it and figure out exactly how Rudin has survived as long as he has 
given that, as you said, everyone knew about this. You're right. Because there wasn't right. glass door back in. Yeah. And swimming <laughs> with sharks was largely based on somebody's experience working for Rudin. Yeah. So Just like, because what devil wears Prada, by the way, is, yes. is the same storyline. Like we, we, we know there are executives out there that are, we'll say just like horrible to work for. Like they're not. Right. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I think this boils down to a lot of sort of the culture of the industry in general. I went to a, a screening of Devil Wears Prada when I was an assistant. They had a, at New Line, they had an all assistant screening. I think it was at the WGA on uh, Doheny, uh, just off Doheny. And I love it. Um, there was an assistance screening assistance for Devil Wears Prada. They just invited assistants. How it does was, that not just like brew? <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, it, from an, I mean, it was a great experience because it's just cool to see everybody. And, yeah, but anyway, perfect. one of the assistants who I worked with at Fox or at New Line came up, I mean, we were talking post screening and she said to me, she's like, I think, um, uh, Andrea made the wrong choice. I think she should have stayed with Meryl Streep's character because she was on the up and up. And that is the big difference. That's, that is the re that is how someone like a Scott Rudin who is known for this abuse lasts as long as he does because so many people want to get ahead. They want to be rude. They want to be up on that stage on Oscar night collecting their golden statue. So they're willing to put aside any quarrel qualms they may have just to get that sort of the brass ring, if you will. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are willing to do that because so many people in the industry, they, def the, the jobs they have define who they are not just what sure. they do. I also think, I think that that's where you run into a lot of the problems where you're trying to, going back to our top of our conversation, where you run into a lot of problems making changes in the industry because so many people define their lives by their jobs. Yeah, I was just say like there, there it was more exclusivity in the industry too. I mean, there were only so many movies being made. There's a very mm -hmm. finite number of theaters you can put those into. Yep. The studio is only invested in a certain amount of projects and a certain amount of dollars to it. So the people that were in the circle held on to it as tightly as possible. Yeah. And a lot of people were, you know, very, very, very competitive um, industry, very competitive industry. Right. Yes. So once you get on the inside, you, you, it's hard to, um, you know, to, to uh, hold on to it because other people are trying to take you out. So someone like Rudin who has a long, you know, like say long experience and very successful through all of his, through all of his years to have any exposure to that, to have any effort on the inside of it, you almost feel like, okay, I have to put up with this because when is my next chance going to be when I get to the other side? And that was my experience in the Oscars. Like, it was, are you kidding? I was working on the Oscars. It was great. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the guy threw a chair at me because I faxed something to the wrong fax number. Right. <laughs> of course. And, and by the way, it wasn't like I faxed it to the wrong person. I just faxed it to his secretary's desk instead of his personal desk right. when I faxed, you know, horrible, yeah. horrible uh, person that I was, but you kind of like realize wait, the opportunity is bigger than this moment, but there are the abusive nature of some people in the industry. And I wonder if the, the exclusive nature is falling apart because there are more platforms, larger distributions, even the gatekeepers aren't necessary. You can yes. make your way through YouTube. You don't need anybody to stand in your way that you can be more vocal about what you're willing to put up with or not. Like you don't have to put up with it. It's not necessary. It's yes. bad actually. These are bad people to work for. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you that because one of, I found the article with somebody and one of my friends on LinkedIn, one of my connections posted and just the title was Life is Too Short. And there are a lot of people who hold that, that idea now because of what you just mentioned. There's a lot more opportunities. One guy in the article, um, or I think it was a, a guy, or might've been a, a female, I can't remember, but he or she literally said, I feel confident now because I'm established here at Netflix. So I don't have to worry about any repercussions from Scott Rudin because I, I've proven myself here, I'm gonna be okay. So I'm okay coming forward and saying how awful it was working for this guy and this behavior isn't acceptable. Um, but like I said, it'll be interesting to see because a lot of the heads of the studios now came up in that same system, that same sort of idea that this is, you know, this is how you, this is a very competitive interest industry. It's very exclusive. Once you get in, you're in, you're a player. So it'll be interesting to see like what sort of the repercussions are, if there's any follow-up, if anyone else comes out other than Megan Ellison to talk about their experience with Scott Rudin and how horrible it was. And I mean, I'm sure there are legendary stories, but Rudin also has offered a defense in the past saying, well, yeah, my behavior is terrible, but look at all the people that are trained under me and how successful they are. Yeah, which is that the argument those ladies are making at the assistant screening, which yeah. is, yeah, but if you stuck with it, you would actually make it. it it's, it's a quasi- I mean, it goes back to the line, Meryl Streep's last line. She's like, don't be ridiculous. Everybody wants to be us. Yeah. It doesn't matter how miserable we are privately. They want our lives. And that's what Hollywood sells in a lot of ways is this sort of exclusive club where you get to go out and party and hang out with Brad Pitt. And I mean, I could... I could regale you with stories of drinks that I had with assistants when I was starting out who had never seen a movie pre-1995. But they were there because they wanted to be in the high, this high-profile industry where you could hang out with all these cool people. You could potentially make a lot of money. It wasn't about the art. It wasn't about the film. It was about, I just want to be in an industry that's going to get me a lot of fucking attention. So when I go back home, everyone's going to be like, oh my God, look, it's so-and-so it's yeah. from L.A. Yeah, he's so cool i want to be him <laughs> it truly is like that influencer marketplace or celebrity kind yeah. of dominating a thing so interesting exactly. isn't it it yeah. really is i will say this is a change for the better it's not i agree it should not be misbehaving there's great things to be done they're actually wonderful people to work for and yes. a lot of achievement you don't need to be basically in an abusive relationship so i'm glad that these people are stepping forward i agree and i'll it's be nice. interested, like i said it'll be interesting to see if there are any further higher ups in the industry who come out and speak up and support Megan Allison, who's one of the few, as I said, who's stepped forward. Yeah, that's awesome. Good job, Megan. Okay, before we wrap up, we need to welcome, we'll say like maybe the little baby brewmaster that's joining. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Robin Geisen had a baby girl. Um, and we did. Want, we want to welcome the, the her new daughter to the, the Vision Craft Brew team here or whatever, <laughs> the Hollywood Breaks team. Uh, we'll raise a glass to you too, Robin. Congratulations. Yes. Her name, Cora Everly Geisen. So here's to Cora. Welcome oh, to the Cora. world, Cora. May you be kind and gentle to your parents, even though <laughs> you know you might not be. <laughs> yes. We can at least cheers to that, right? Yeah, we cheers to that. Exactly. Yeah. Congratulations, Robin. Our thoughts, prayers, and love go out to you and your family. Congratulations and all that great stuff. I love children. I think they're so amazing what they do to our world, the, the joy that they bring, the adventure they bring, the innocence they bring. It's just awesome. So enjoy the Well, life. my daughter got me up to about 4 a.m. last night, so I'm not necessarily going to do a rah-rah right now. 
Overall, I would agree with your sentiment. Yes. <laughs> what they say, Keith, they say, uh, uh, grandchildren are the gift for not killing your own kids. Right. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh. When they start yeah. crying, you can hand them off. You yes, don't have exactly. to, you have to handle it yourself well, anymore. <laughs> That's what you have to look forward to. <laughs> soon, soon, soon. All right. Well, thank you again for an amazing week. Um, hope your computer gets better and congratulations on the Vision Craft Brew. I think it's thank you, uh, Very excited. Great, a great venture that you have going on there. If people want to know more, they can follow Keith and his profile. I uh, get some more information and I know there's more thought pieces going out there that he's working on now just to develop some more of these ideas. I love um, the tribal change, the award um, um, strategy and the other strategy you have. It's really great. Um, so thanks Keith for keeping that machine moving forward. I also want to thank Lydia. You're amazing. Thanks for keeping us together today and uh, moving the pieces forward and Curly Joe for all you're doing to help us um, gather those pieces again on social media. Um, and of course the Go Social team who's always waiting for us to finish these episodes so they can get our graphics out there. Thank you for your patience. Um, and until next week where we're going to have oh some great guests coming up. We should. Uh, yeah, I did want to just. Yeah, I did want a quick uh, plug on those. Um, we have uh, Jeremy Gershman will be joining us um, actually in two weeks um, for um, a nice little chat. Jeremy is someone I work with at Fox. He has a lot of experience in animation. So you'll get a lot of a, a feel for what it's like to work on um, an animated title versus a live action title. And uh, also he spent some time at Disney. So we'll get sort of an idea of what it's like to work on Fox versus Disney and all that kind of stuff. That's so, very cool. And my friend excited. Dallas Taylor's joining us. Dallas is from DeFacto Sound. He has a podcast, 20,000 Hertz. Um, and he recently covered the fanfare, which is that first thing you see when the movie comes on. And we're going to talk to him about how that's changing, evolving, and maybe some of the history behind that. So we can kind of get a sense of like what it's, what that experience is like to go to the theater and the differences are there. So more to come in Hollywood breaks. Thank you all again. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers. See you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>